Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms. Legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who play and own the games we love. Another version of Bill Roden on sports. My co-host, Jamal Murphy. Good to be here. And what you everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Seth Nyman, our expert producer. Happy uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Gobble gobble. Okay. <laughs> uh, the ties influences everywhere. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, wow, uh, great week of sports. Great past weekend of sports. I was down in Carolina. Mm-hmm. And watching one of two teams go ten and zero, right? Carolina Panthers defeated the Washington team forty four sixteen, right? You notice I say the Washington team, yes, right? I, I don't, even, I don't even remember their nickname I anymore. Yeah, I know it's like yeah. it's like they didn't even have one. Yeah, I don't think they do. <laughs> uh, but um, now we've got two teams that are ten and zero, right? The Patriots spanked once again. The Patriots spanked. Uh, Buffalo, well, I think you know, seven point win. You know, give you gotta give Rex some credit. They lost. I mean, <laughs> and you know, you, you hear what they say now when Brady gets to the line. He said, "Rex Ryan, Rex Ryan." He he calls it out. Oh, oh no, okay. it's like funny. He gets to the line. He says, "Rex Ryan, Rex Ryan." <laughs> <laughs> it's just they know that they're so far in this guy's head. Right, right. <laughs> they're just playing with him now. Um, but uh, they they spank Buffalo and Carolina looked really, really, really. Uh, impressive, right? Um, Cam had five TDs. Yeah, four, four in the first half. Right. I, I, I personally think that uh, right now. I mean, listen, they still got six more games to go. That's a lot of football. But right, right now, I think it's a two-person race for MVP. Right. I think it's Cam Newton and and Tom Brady. Brady, obviously the favorite because he's Tom Brady and. You know, right, right, but right. I don't know. I think what, Cam, what do Cam's, Cam's closing in on him. Yeah, I've hear, I've been hearing some chatter. Right from the uh, Twitter world, from the uh, sports world, and and Cam's got a shot. He's got a good shot. I mean, I think at this point you have to uh, keep winning. Right, of course. You know, and 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 you can't go ten and six. No, no, no. Well, just <laughs> you can't lose your next six and then get the MVP. <laughs> That's right. And they start with Dallas on Thanksgiving Day, right? Which you know is is is, is, is you know is a tough game. I mean, yeah, it is. Why? Romo's back. Romo's back. This guy's just yeah. such a joke. He's right? not in the MVP race. You know what? There are Dallas fans who would right. put him in the MVP. Well, you race. know, we'll, we'll, yeah. guys. Well, how many? How many? Don't give me. I got stars, no comment. Guys. No comment on that. Um, but Newton was a very interesting guy. I was at the. I was at his post game uh, news conference, and he said a couple of very interesting things. Uh, the first thing, you, you know, when you win, I, I'm a big believer in you learn more about a team when they lose. Than when they win, because when they win, everybody's kind of giddy. And somebody asked him about that. They they talked about how great the team is and all that. And he told everybody to settle down. And this this is what he said. You know, we can't allow ourselves to get lax. You know, we, we're, we're on a wave now, and, um, you know, winning covers up a lot of things. And we can't uh, get complacent with the victories, more importantly, than getting better. Uh, and that's what we're going to have to do and uh, get prepared for Dallas. And then later, and this is, I think, always the understory of Cam Newton and, and, and quarterbacks like that who are very physical, very athletic. Uh, so, black? And, and black, oh. yeah. And black, <laughs> right, right, that's right. Black, <laughs> very athletic, 
gifted. And of course, at some point, the guy, the guy in the back said, well, can't. He didn't say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, what do you say about people who say that uh, you're an athletic quarterback? And this is what, what he said. I said it since day one. Um, you know, I'm not really caring about what people think. You know, as long as, you know, I got the trust in, in, in this organization, more importantly, the trust in the guys that's out there on the field with me. Um, I've always, you know, kind of labeled myself uh, a, a pocket passer with the ability to run. And, um, you know, obviously trying to take what the defense gives me each and every down, whether it's a 20-yard completion, 20-yard scramble, or just a check down. It's very interesting that people just go there. But you know that it's, it's right this, this whole quarterback thing has not been resolved. Not, it's, no, it's absolutely not not, been not at all. And you could tell, you know, he's thought about it because he had a canned answer ready. You know, he's telling, he's trying to convince you. He's a, he's a pocket quarterback because that's what they want me to be, yeah. and that's that's what I'm judged by. You have to be a pocket quarterback who can just, you know, I can run also. You know, which is which is true. I I think he is. You know, he has become and always was a, a solid pocket quarterback but he has other skills that allow him to do other things and you know he's he's actually you know forced to sell himself short by saying he's just a pocket I, quarterback I, who runs a little bit because they actually call running plays for him yeah I actually in fact I was looking at the numbers yesterday John, Jonathan Stewart finished you know first uh, in the team in rushing I think he had 110 yards and guess who was second Cam Newton right you know I, I, I just feel so bad and sometimes I just think it sometimes even we as a people we always have to, you're kind of apologizing for our strengths. Right. You know, people are always making you apologize for being, uh, our ability to do so many things. You, right. you apologize for our hair and, and apologize for our looks, our, right. our, our skin color. Right. And, and these people are steadily going to uh, tanning salons and they're right. steadily on the beach and they're trying to get their lips fuller. And they're, but yet, we're apologizing. Here you have a guy, a lot of these people would be given their right arm to be able to do what Cam Newton does. Six five six six can run like a deer. Can right. throw. Right. Can, you know, great leader. He, he's he's enthusiastic. You can tell he right. loves it. He's charismatic. Right. And he's got to sit up there and apologize for it because it, it's 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 really it kind of drives you crazy. You know, it really well it doesn't. No, it's not going to drive me crazy. But right. it's just so unfortunate because not just in football, but you see us across the board how. We're always either having to apologize or having to overcompensate and standing up for it. I mean, it's really just. Uh, but again, you know, as we tell young people, this is never over. Right. I mean, don't ever think this stuff is over. Whether we just talk about quarterbacking, you know, we 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 just began this innocent conversation about Cam Newton quarterback. He's talking about <laughs> a great game. Yeah, where to go? Right. And then all of a sudden, this guy, Cam. You know, what am I? Are you an athletic quarterback? Right. Well. First of all, what kind of stupid-ass question is that? Right. Everybody in the NFL is athletic. Right. You wouldn't be there if you're, you know, you're an athletic guard. You're an athletic tackle. Right. And, then, you know, they don't say that about Andrew Luck, right. who runs just as much, pretty much. I mean, they, they don't. Not they don't, anymore. Yeah, not anymore. And they, don't, <laughs> they, may not, they may not call plays for him, and that's another, that's another story. But, right. Right. you know, I mean, Cam, Cam, but bottom line, Cam has been one of the best quarterbacks this year, if not the best quarterback. He's in the he's in the running for the MVP, has a great chance to get it and probably should. When you know, when you think about who should actually get it, right. you know, you always, I always look at, you know, if you replace him with someone, couldn't he be replaced in that offense? And if you put another quarterback, 
uh, I mean, he doesn't have any wide receivers that name wide receivers. Ted Ginn is his number one guy. He he was he has been no better than a three guy his whole career. Right. Great running attack though. They're, right. they're, they're running. Great run and great defense. So I mean, you have to have something. I mean, you know. Right. And he's been good the past couple of years. He's, they've gotten to the playoffs the last two years, so this is not out of the blue. Yeah, yeah. No, he's been having a very solid. Season. I mean, and Brady too. I mean, you can't. You know. Um, uh, you know, Brady's having a, a, having a great season. Great season, but and, and it's funny they're having two great undefeated seasons, two different ways. Right. I mean, Brady. I just have a sense that Brady's really pissed off. Right. You know that he's on this. I think this. Uh, thank you, Seth. Uh, <laughs> I just want to make the re, you know the listeners feel that they're at home in this chaos. But you, you know, um, they're winning two different ways. Brady, they call him. He's on the revenge tour. And right. you can tell he's pissed off. He is. You know, they dragged his name. Through. But I want to say, Tom, you're still guilty. I mean, yeah, you can win. He's still deflated the ball. still deflated the ball. You can win 10 million games. Yeah, that's, 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 no one said you weren't great. Right. Calm down. Right. They, even even in the height of the thing, I told them, I mean, you're still great. You just right. deflated the balls, right. you know. But You, know, you, you guys sound like big Patriot fans. Tried to get that <laughs> extra edge. Yeah, well, I know we're losing, <laughs> we're losing that New England market. <laughs> but we respect him, right? We, of course, we, we of made, course. Even remember we had DeMario Davis in here. And he, he, he didn't want to talk about Tom a lot. But mm-hmm. he did say that, hey, the guy's a competitor. So I'm not taking right. that away, but. We just right now. I, I think it's neck and neck between Newton and I, it, it depends on how they're going to um, finish. The last thing uh, I asked um, Newton uh, about, but the same thing about numbers, right? Uh, because when you really look at it, and to me, he is the epitome of somebody who just has a lot of intangibles. Right. Because when you look at his numbers across the board, he doesn't. He's not in the top ten in a lot of the popular categories. I think he creeped into the top ten. With passing, because you know when you score five, when you throw five touchdowns in one game, you're gonna. But otherwise, but uh, um, completion percentage, right? He's not that high, but yet there's something about him uh, that statistics don't tell the story about. And I asked him about, about that. I asked him what he thought about the lack of numbers, and this is what he said. Oh, it's irrelevant. Numbers are the most important number right now. Is is the win column. And as long as we keep doing that, I think everything else will take care of itself. And, you know, the reality is that people have always used numbers. Right. And they call it analytics. And, and frankly, I think that a lot of these guys who are saying that they're in the analytics are really lying. <laughs> I do. I think they're lying. I think that's the way. They know that's the way to get a job. Right. And they're, oh, yeah, sweet. You know. Right. And, but I really don't think, particularly in sports, because what does sports boil down to? It boils down to uh, who's got the desire to win. Right. Right. Who... Uh, like a guy like Newton, he just seems to have a knack for knowing when it's time to step up. Right, and it's about what we talked about, you know, just a few minutes ago, the fact that he can do a lot of different things. You know, he brings a lot to the table, calling himself a pack, just, you know, simply a pocket passer who can do a, a couple of other things is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> um, right. So I don't, I don't look at, you know, when I look at his stats, you know, you, you want to compare you want to compare, uh, th- you know, throwing yards or throwing TDs because he's a quarterback. Sh- show me the total yards and total TDs because you want to talk throwing yards. You're taking you're taking away those, you know, whatever ten touch t- running t- rushing touchdowns he has or you know something like that. You got to put it all together to really get a better picture of it. And you're right. And, and like he said, at the end of the day, the numbers are irrelevant. It's about wins. Right, ten and zero. Because I guarantee you, if, if he was lighting it up, right. Uh, you know, if he was leading the league and everything, and they were, and they were eight, 
and you know, or you know, right. finish the season eight and eight. Well, that's all he, he can he, do. You know, yeah, exactly. he'd get no credit. Exactly, exactly. And and he said the number that counts is ten and zero, right? Eleven and zero, right? Twelve and zero. Those are the numbers that count. Um, I, I just think uh, you know I'm sensitive to that type of stuff because the, the double standard is just nuts. But right. again, stats stats are irrelevant. Um, here's one stat that's not irrelevant: it's the NBA. Uh, Golden State. Is, 16 and 0 broke six, the record last night. Right. Beat what? the Lakers and uh, your boy Kobe. Oh boy. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's, I I wonder maybe when Kobe comes on our show, we're going to have Kobe on our show. He's probably at that point. Not not that we don't get great guests. Right. But Kobe may want to kind of come on just to hey, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder when when do you as an athlete, when do you know it's over? I mean, when do you know it's over and when do you some people say what about as a writer but <laughs> <laughs> at this point anybody said that um, well yeah never you know? right. but but you know when when you're Kobe Bryant when you're um, you know uh, Oscar Robertson when you Shaquille O'Neal when do you know it's over when do you know you know what I it's time to hang when you out. start shooting one for 14 and you're shooting air balls multiple you know the S plural air balls uh I mean, it's. I mean, the look on his face last night told me he 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 has to be. It has to be a debate within his mind whether it's over or not. Now, I think you give him a couple more months, you know, because he did miss the whole season last season. So you know, he may still be. See, let's see what he's how he's playing in February, March, April. But what do you do? Around. I mean, as you're, if you're the coach, I mean, do you, do you bench him? <laughs> well, well, you know what? We're, we're no, just look at Eli, look, well, look at look at Peyton Manning. Same thing. You know, when do you know when hurt, do you know hurt, it's over? Bill. He's hurt. He's hurt. <laughs> He's hurt. You don't believe it? Come on. He, he, no, he couldn't play He's that through. bad. He, he was hurt. He, 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 was, he was hurt the last two seasons, hey, really. Come on, but look at this guy, and even his brother, too. They never missed a game, those guys. You got, nobody gives them the credit for being tough. Like I, you know, well, they, they well, never now, to now, play in the league that long, and he missed oh, the whole season. He's, but yeah, he's you tough. Know. He's tough. So Eli through those tough, injuries. Eli, Eli is tough, though. Eli yeah. is tough. They're both tough. You don't look all these guys who get knocked out all the right. time, missing yeah. games all the time. These guys never they get hit too, like but, everyone else. But it is yeah, funny right. with the quarterback position, you know, and some and it's certain guys they do this for is you don't hear about them being hurt. You know, they're hundred percent coming into the game. Then they have their worst game, you know, just a horrible game, and then all of a sudden they have, you know, they have issues. All of a sudden they're hurt, their arm, their shoulder, and it's the same thing with pitchers in baseball. You, right. They're fine, and all of a sudden gives up eight runs, and all of a sudden, oh, it's an injury issue. Right, right. Well, you know, same thing with Andrew Luck. You know, and and it's funny when we talk about Cam Newton. People with RG three and Luck and those guys came in the league. You know, they were saying, well, Cam can't even play. You know, this guy can't play, and. You know, RG three. I don't know if he's is he still in the league. I mean, you know, no. RG three can't even get a uniform. Luck, even with the injury, was playing terrible. But you're right. After the injury, I mean, after the, he was going terrible. Oh, you know, well, he's got you know broken shoulder. And he's got the, <laughs> well, now I believe him because uh, I think he has a lacerated kidney. I don't think he make that, that up. That hurts. <laughs> Andrew Luck is a great player. Come on, he he is. Yeah. I, he's a very good player. He's great. Be, don't say great yet. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, yes, uh, he's potentially. Great? Great. If he's great, if he's great, what's Tom Brady? If, if, if Andrew Luck is great, what's Tom Brady? Excellent. See, no, no, no. Excellent, excellent is not better than great. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Excellent, excellent is almost like I shouldn't argue with a writer. Actually, right, no, yes. no, no. We, this, this is Roden, Bill Roden on sports. We're democratic here. No, excellent is what you get in school. You know, when your teacher pass your your paperback, excellent. Like you know, great is like all right. You've so, been great th- for like the entire year. <laughs> Andrew Luck's great. great. Year. Tom Brady's a Hall of Famer. 
right. Yeah, but why does why does Andrew Luck have to be? So what's Cam right. Newton? Yeah, what's Cam Newton? What's Cam Newton? He's playing great this year. Oh, oh <laughs> see there we go. Man. The disclaimer. Yeah, God, he played great last year. Anyway, he's so, matured. You know, I and mean, we've seen that in some quarterbacks that get better later. Like look at Steve Young. I mean, Vinny Testaverde. Guys had more success later hey, in their careers. Vinny Testaverde. He had more success later in his Would career. Would you put him in the same category as 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 uh, Steve Young? No, Steve Young would strangle you. I didn't. I, I didn't say they were equals. One's obviously in the Hall of Fame. One isn't. I'm just saying there's a lot of quarterbacks that mature and, and get better later in their careers. Right. You know, and some of these guys haven't hung around long enough to do that. Like a Vince Young or a Matt Leinart. These guys just came and oh, flamed boy. out and disappeared. They had a lot of talent though, right? Those guys. Supposedly. I, I, well, but you know what? It's, it's always the test of time. Right. I mean, that, that that's my litmus test. Even with even with uh, Seth Curry. As great as Seth Curry has been, Steph Curry. I'm sorry, I guess no. it's Seth. It's, Steph Curry. Yeah, I, Seth I, hasn't hasn't been great yet. Yeah, Steph Curry. <laughs> I, cause I would like to get him on the show. <laughs> we'll learn, learn to pronounce my name, and maybe I'll <laughs> give it a consideration. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but even as as great a season as Steph Curry has had, I, I'd like the idea of doing it over a period of five, ten years. I mean, right, when you right, look right. at Jabbar Kareem Abdul Jabbar's numbers right. over a period of twenty years. Magic Johnson, 15 years. Tom Brady, right. in over a period of years. I mean, Michael Joy. I mean, yeah, there's no question. I mean, that that's. I think that you, 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 if Seth, Steph Curry, let's say, let's say they don't get back to the finals, and let's say we go five more years and they don't get back. Right. Well, what you'd say is that he had a an incredible two two seasons. Right. right. A two season run. Right. You know. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, he's not. I mean, yeah. Obviously, he's not there now. Not there yet. But all we can do at this point is just look at the now. And right now, Easy. he's coming. He was MVP last year. They won the championship. He was the man on the team. They come back this year. Uh, you know, remember, he was slighted a little bit because remember, uh, the NBA had their own uh, oh, yeah. awards ceremony. And they gave ceremony. it to uh, James and Harden. They, yeah, they gave the MVP, <laughs> the, the, the one that the players voted on. They right. gave it to, to Harden. James Harden. And I think that, I mean, I, I watched a little bit of it. They showed Curry's face. He was there at the award show. They showed his face after the award was given to Harden. He didn't look pleased. And it has to, I mean, for a competitor, that had to bother him. And he came out this year on fire, scoring the most so, points in the first few games so maybe, as Jordan. And now they're 16-0, broke the NBA record right. for, for wins Starts. to start a season. Do you, do you think so? Maybe he's on the same role that Tom Brady's on. Maybe he's on a revenge tour. He because is. That, clearly, he is. that clearly was a slap. It was a slap. It's clearly a slap in the face. And, he, and he's constantly slapped in the media, people refusing to call. You know, at least I think they're changing their tone now. But last year, oh, he's not really a superstar. You know, and I think they're just going off because he doesn't, you know, he's not 6'6 and sculpted and doesn't dunk on you and can't physically dominate you. You know, he gets he's slighted a, nice a little family. bit. family. <laughs> Yeah. Right, he has a nice family, you know. <laughs> two parents. Yeah, grew up, had some money, right. his father had some money. Yeah, he has to be a jerk. <laughs> right, he, you know, he's not. he doesn't have that fire, you know, whatever, but he, he must. Right. Did, have you seen the commercial with, 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 with Steph Curry and his dad? He, he, it's a great commercial. Yeah, uh, yeah. He and his brother, is. and he sits in his dad's chair. Right. And his dad comes in, and without even saying anything, he kind of gets up right. <laughs> and moves over. <laughs> which, which, I mean, it really says a lot. It, right. it says a lot just about uh, that his dad is still the man. No matter, I don't care who you are. Right. I'm still the father. I'm still, that's my chair. Right. And I don't care how much money you're making. Right. And his dad's responsible for that gift, that shooting gift he has. No kidding. You know, I mean, Del Curry was, was the, Curry you know, was he man. could shoot. 
That's right. And he couldn't do the other stuff that right, Steph he could, could play do. defense. But I'm sure well, he taught well, Steph, him some of that. Steph can't. I mean, Steph is that, that, uh, He's getting he, a little better. He's getting better. You know, he's, he's, he's trying. He's trying. I think they also have a great I mean, they actually have a great team. That's another thing, too, right. as we close the segment. Luke Walton right. is coaching. Right. You know, and I'm I'm like, oh, wait a minute. How did. <laughs> I know that's another, you know, Bill, we will say that for Black History Month. Right. <clears throat> but it, oh, it, it again, I mean, how does this happen? You know, I mean, I know that. Well, I know it happens because he's he's, an he, he's his first assistant. But if you're a brother in the league, you let's say you're you look at all these black superstars who've come in the league, and I I've not yet done that yet, but I want to look at all these for the most these white guys who are like the GMs and vice presidents. And I want to find out who they are, what year did they come in the league as players, who were the great black players who came in and with them, and at what point did it change? When did somebody pick this guy? off the assembly line and put him on the uh, front office track. Right. And but, this other guy just was, was playing. And maybe, you know. Right. I mean, you know, Luke Walton. I mean, a lot of the guys, you know, they want to coach. They start, you know, they start uh, as an assistant coach. So, And Luke Walton has been assistant coach for, for a number of years. But, you know, a guy like, I'm sure a guy like Patrick Ewing is like, hey, man. He's still trying to get his first job. Yeah, so. You know, first, you know, so anyway. But maybe Doc Rivers' son, maybe Austin Rivers will be the head coach. But I heard somewhere that, that Luke Walton is a, he's technically an interim coach. So these wins don't, will not count on his actual co- uh, head coaching record. Yeah, well. That, yeah, <laughs> unfortunate. Right. Yeah, but that's all right. Introducing Play.it, a podcast network like no other. From award-winning news programming and number one sports brands to entertainment and business leaders, Play.it is delivering storytelling at its best. We're going to be having conversations with newsmakers and culture shapers. I will be talking mostly about fashion and how I've been marketing all my life. Tech, culture, and entrepreneurship. Everything in the world of sports entertainment and wrestling and beyond. Hear what you've been missing at Play.it. There's something for every sports fan on CBSLocalSports.com. Watch live radio shows and original video programming while reading national articles from some of the best writers in the country. Visit CBSLocalSports.com today. I've got a, a, a very special guest, um, Bajan Bain, who is the author of uh, just really a tremendous biography of Elgin Baylor. It's called The Man Who Changed Basketball. It's a biography of Elgin Baylor. And uh, Bajan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I, I um, you know, we've been talking about this bio for quite a while. Um, I remember when you first started doing the research, and this was—I know—we started talking about it during the Sterling, uh, the Donald Sterling um, episode, because I think we were both trying to get to him. And um, I'm just really happy that you you completed this bio because I think it's I. I, I think this is the first bio of, of Elgin Baylor. Is that am I correct? That's true. Yeah. Um, but I'm really I'm really happy uh, that that you did it because uh, you know growing up that he was sort of in my era. I hate, hate to say it, uh, but I just thought that uh, Baylor was just phenomenal. Um, I I, um, I think everybody talks about Jordan and walking in space, but Baylor was really. The, the the first the first guy to really with that body control and all that uh, how, how did you decide to to do Baylor how did you decide to to do a biography of uh, of Elgin well Elgin Baylor is the athlete about whom I would love to read a biography and there wasn't one 
and I looked, you know, sort of in bookstores and libraries and online, and I tried to research my own memory of what I had seen on the bookshelves when I was growing up, and I didn't recall a full treatment of his life. So I thought to myself, if I were going to approach that topic, did he have the personality to sustain my interests? Was there enough information there to sustain the interests of others? And what would some of the themes of my approach be? And since there was nothing in the sports literature devoted to him, I felt because his peers, such as West, Robertson, Russell, and Chamberlain, had been the subjects of biographies, and in some cases, both biographies and memoirs, mm. uh, I thought there was a missing piece there in terms of uh, the literary bookshelf. Mm. Were you able to talk to, to Baylor at all? No, I, I approached Baylor. Uh, Baylor was very private, uh, as, as you, as you yeah, know, as a sports writer, right. and he's very not toot my own horn. The combination of that and some other things didn't have a real journalistic relationship uh, led to disinterest in terms of uh, collaboration on mm -hmm. his part. Mm -hmm. But, but and sometimes what I found, I don't know if you find this too, but a lot of times it's sometimes better. I mean, obviously it would have been better if he would have sat down and poured his heart out, but sometimes it's, it's better when, when you're free to really follow the truth where it leads. Because now you're you know you don't you're not worried about permission and this and that and you could sort of you know tell the story that needs to be told. What what types of things um, did you find out about Baylor that really captivated you? I know you kind of you went in with with a sense of where you wanted to go with it, but what types of things did you find out about him? That, that well, really well, to your you point about some biographies, actually, probably depending on the privacy level and how forthcoming the athlete is or how, how good their recollection is for game situations. I agree with you about Baylor in particular about the fact that it might be better served uh, being done independently. I'll point to Howard Bryant's Hank Aaron or Henry Aaron and also Jim Kaplan's uh, relatively recent treatment of Mays and they didn't have access. But I learned a little bit more about what, why he wasn't heavily recruited out of high school, mm. uh, which is would be right. unheard of now right. given the fact that he still holds the single single uh, game scoring record for the D.C. public schools, and it was 63 in, a, in the 1953-1954 basketball pace of a high school game. He scored 63, if you can imagine that. <laughs> no. um, so I learned a little bit about why he his application to college was delayed. And part of that is he just played uh, workplace ball with his two older brothers at the Census Bureau. I learned a little bit about why he's not really involved with Washington, D.C. to this day. And most of that is just because the D.C. that he left in 54 is right on the cusp of Brown versus the Board mm. of Education. And it's a segregated D.C. and he really didn't have any use for it once he became uh, a Hollywood personality. And I, um, I learned a lot about how many athletes say that they emulated his game early in their own careers. Hmm. Hmm. So, so, you know, for, for people who aren't familiar with Baylor, I, and that, that's always a hard thing, you know, because everybody can tell you chapter verse about LeBron. And in fact, we're in an era now where there are certain kids who 
kind of have a fuzzy recollection of Michael, <laughs> which which you never would think. But but just for to, to to tell people why Baylor is important and what is it about him that was that, that was just so great and special. To me, and from everything that I've heard from the Rick Barrys and the Billy Cunninghams and the Dave Bings and the George McGinnises who ball players in the mid to late 60s and early 70s who said that they tried to fashion elements of their game after Baylor's. There's a couple of things. Uh, obviously, he's important because he's the reason why the NBA moved to Hollywood, and Bob Short banked the success of his franchise on Baylor being marketable enough that he could move it from the Midwest where it was flailing, even though it had, they had been, a, as you well know, a dynasty four or five years before that with Mike and, and Pollard and those guys. But that he, he banked the success of the team on being the first franchise to move to Southern California. And that even, I think, had some, some influence on how John Wooden was able to recruit his 64 and 65 teams, which were local kids. This was before they had Alcinda. They won two championships before Alcinda comes west. Uh, also, the, the imprint of the playing style that, we're, that we take for granted today, where you take your man off the dribble from the wing, try to beat him to the basket off of a dribble drive, everyone that plays in that style, especially if they're adjusting their moves in midair, changing hands, things of that nature, comes out of Baylor. Everyone who can really trace the fact that they played that way and watch somebody like a Connie Hawkins or a Michael Jordan or Dominique Wilkins is really the uh, stylistic heir of Elgin Baylor. Mm. You know, I, I was uh, I, I was speaking to um, uh, who was it? Was it? It may have been McGinnis. Uh, no, who was the um, this guy was from D.C. Uh, we were talking about uh, D.C. basketball. Maybe Bing, maybe. Uh, but B- Baylor was like a playground legend in D.C. I mean, even now you talk to people and they, they have these heroic stories about Elgin Bla- Baylor in D.C. The, the Washington stories, I guess the most interesting to your listeners mm-hmm. and readers would be the ones where Elgin was not yet a professional and he was a year ahead of Will Chamberlain in college and Will Chamberlain took his spring break from his from his uh, collegiate career at Kansas to to play pickup games in DC primarily on teams that were against Elgin's in the DC schoolyards those are some of the stories that stand out because through word of mouth uh, hard to imagine how since people weren't using pay phones and they definitely were, definitely didn't have today's technology, sometimes in the hundreds of people would show up just through uh, the, the community grapevine to watch these games where Elgin had a, you know four guys with him and Wilt had four guys with him. And there were a couple of interesting things about that. I mean, it, neither, again, was a professional yet. And they didn't know each other. They hadn't played against each other in college, even though they wanted to. And they wanted both of their schools to schedule a game. But because they were all Americans and you know been at banquets and events like that together, they had met and uh, taken a liking to each other. And there was just the challenge of you know the greatest Philadelphia schoolyard player and the greatest DC schoolyard player not being on the same side. And you know what what can you do? And with all the oral combativeness and everything that comes along with it. So that was interesting, but but he, 
Elton learned the game. Elton had older brothers, but he learned the game in a city where the parks were segregated. And he learned from a kid who was an undergrad at uh, Miami of Ohio, a, a black guy named Clarence Hainsworth, who was a neighbor. And when Elgin was about 14, one summer Hainsworth was home and they just played a whole bunch of one-on-one. And Elgin was playing this 20-year-old and Elgin also had these older brothers that were very good players. And he just had a man's game at a very early age. Uh, you talk about LeBron James and people talk about 10th grade LeBron and 9th grade LeBron. Elgin was like that. Elgin had a, a mature game and a mature uh, stature and build at a very early age. Mm. Right. He went to Spingarn, right? He, he, he went to Spingarn High. Uh, I guess the, the fascinating thing is how the hell did a guy from D.C., first he went to the College of Idaho, right, for, which is, you know, I, 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 I talked to, um, before he passed away, uh, R.C. Owens. Yes. Who was also out there, you know, which is a whole other R.C. Owens alley-oop to, to people who are probably over 100 know, know about uh, alley-oop. But um, how, how did he get to the College of Idaho, Idaho from D.C. all the way to the, I mean, to the middle of nowhere, to the College of Idaho. He went there first, and then he ended up going to Seattle. But how did he end up at the College of Idaho? Well, he ended up at the College of Idaho because it was not 2015. Hmm. Uh, there are newspaper accounts, contemporary accounts, of people from Villanova, Indiana, uh, St. John's, uh, Red Arbach of the Celtics being interested in Baylor when he was a teenager. Mm. Uh, their coach, Big House Gaines of Winston-Salem State, said he knows that he worked out at Kentucky State. Mm. Uh, there was a visit to Virginia Union in terms of the HBCUs, but he ended up that far away from home and at a school that eventually dropped basketball after he uh, he played varsity <laughs> on a football scholarship. He played basketball, uh, but they only had about 350 students, and they dropped athletics because of uh, for budgetary reasons. Because it just wasn't 2015. They didn't have these scouting profiles of kids in the ninth and tenth grade, and traveling teams, and 16 and under, and select belt, select basketball, and magazines and websites, and dime and slam. And people knew who he was, mm. but he said he was. Hold on. He said he was academically somewhat indifferent. Everyone knows he was bright. Mm -hmm. And there was a college football player at the College of Idaho from the D.C. public schools, from another high school, Dunbar High School, who knew Elgin. And he wrote Elgin and said they needed more athletes and that the coach was sort of pressed for athletes in a small student body. And he talked Elgin up about coming out to College of Idaho when Elgin was two years out of high school, basically working in a furniture store. And at first, Elgin wasn't that interested in college, period. But he held Warren Williams' opinion in high regard, and Warren Williams was able to convince him to come out there. And the first scholarship that they gave him was a football scholarship. <laughs> and actually, R.C. Owens was there at the time. R.C. Right. Owens was on the football and basketball team at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, again, I said that's another story, Ali. You uh, let, let me let, you know, let's let's maybe fast forward for a minute because for a lot of people, what they remember about Elgin Baylor is this old guy with this sort of bad, you know, bad <laughs> weave, who was you know was sort of um, how can I say this politely, uh, 
Scotty uh, uh, Sterling. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that that's the image that a lot of people have of Baylor. This sure. Eighty. You know, the, the Baylor who was just you know with the Clippers languishing. Um, why don't we start there and work back? Uh, how how um, how did he get to that point? I mean, you know, he 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 was a kind of unsuccessful coach. I mean, it's almost after he finished playing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't really enjoy the same type of success. But let's start with the Baylor that m- many people knew uh, with the Clippers as of maybe, well, yeah. In in 1989, Donald Sterling, who was an LA native and is only a year older than Baylor, mm-hmm. one was born in 33, one was born in 34 hired Elgin as general manager for a team that had originated in Buffalo, as most people know. And the Clippers had never really drafted well. Um, they'd had several coaches. They'd actually been in San Diego between the two cities. And Elgin took the job because Elgin is L.A. through and through, and he likes to stay in L.A. He likes to do things L.A.-related. He had done things like... Uh, work in music promotions, promote concerts and events. And you know, for a while there in the 70s, mid to late 70s, he had coached Pete Maravich on the uh, New Orleans Jazz, the then New Orleans Jazz. But he's a, Cal- he's a Southern California guy now. Mm-hmm. And so he took the job. He didn't know much about Sterling as a person or as a real estate developer. And Sterling claimed later in court he didn't know much about him, but of course he did because they're contemporaries. Uh, everybody that grew up in, in L.A. in the late 50s, 60s, and 70s knew who Elgin Baylor was. Everybody in the country knew who Elgin Baylor was back then. And I don't think he knew at the time how uh, frugal Sterling was. He also had no idea how much of a bigot he was. And even though those things would come to reveal themselves later, especially in terms of hiring and signing and retaining players, and even contract negotiations with players and contract negotiations with drafted rookies such as Danny Manning, who have been pretty vocal about the kind of things that Sterling would say uh, in terms of how much money they didn't need to be earning since they were black. Mm. The Elgin's pride, Elgin's uh, the same kind of pride and same kind of competitiveness that probably steeled him when he played in seven world championships against Boston and, and came on the sh- came up on the short end each time, mm-hmm. kept him in the position. He didn't leave the position. I think because it was L.A. and the Lakers were always the first banana, there was a uh, there was something in him that made him want to make the team. Of course, they were never going to be they were never going to hold the place in the terms of the city's uh, fandom that the Lakers would just because of the history, part of which he helped start. But I think because it was an L.A. team that he wanted to at least make it kind of like it is now with the Chris Paul and Blake yeah, Griffin yeah, yeah. after the fact, a, a viable team and not a laughing stock. And also in terms of professional pride and, and finishing what he had started, I don't think – I think every few years they would get somebody like a Danny Manning or a Ferry or a Ron Harper or a Doc Rivers – and he would think, well, this is, the, is going to turn the tide, even though I'm working with an owner who um, really restricts me in terms of what I can do in terms of getting talent in here. Mm-hmm. And, and he actually won uh, Executive of the Year in 2006, right? Their best run was when uh, Larry Brown came in to coach Manning. 
Mm-hmm. They were 45 and 37 one year. They had a couple of good years when everybody was healthy, but they could never keep their big men healthy, and they usually would bring in uh, veteran guards. You know, they had, as I said, Doc Rivers, Ron Harper after uh, Doc left. Mark Jackson uh, quarterback the team. So they, but you know, the West was very, very strong by then with the Seattles and the Phoenixes and the San Antonios and the LAs, the other LA, and uh, and Denver. You know, Denver had great teams with Issel and English and those guys. And if you can't sign, if you're always finishing in the lottery and you're always drafting first or second or third, but the agents of the rookies know that your owner is a tight wad. The general manager's hands are tied. Right. My guest is Bijan Bain. He's the uh, author of The Man Who Changed Basketball, biography of Elgin Baylor. This is actually your, your, your second book, right? You did a book about uh, basketball Martha's Vineyard. Um, uh, maybe, what, about four years, three or four years ago? Right. I, I wrote a book about uh, that's primarily about the tradition of summer basketball on Martha's Vineyard that started 45 years ago and is still ongoing. Yeah, which is pretty interesting, too. Uh, I had a couple of nephews who I think you met. Um, uh, Kyle Dudley, who now coaches at Middlebury. That's uh, right. But he played, you know, he played uh, in the scene. It was really surprising. I, I didn't realize there was like a hot scene. <laughs> On the venue, but I mean, you know, you, you, I, I actually played out there a couple of summers, not in the actual league, just on the court in Oak Bluffs. Oh, we'll see that. Yeah, between the pickup and the uh, summer league, the, the guys that play at night and young women that play at night, it can get reasonably competitive. It's not what it was during the baby boom. I would say seventies and eighties was the peak. By the time uh, Kyle and Kevin came through. There were a lot of other options of things for teens, teens to do in the summertime, some of which are digital. But it was still, it's, it's, it's still a lot of fun in terms of pickup. And even in the mid-'90s, you might see a, a J.B. Bickerstaff out there, uh, and his father would be watching him play. He was now the coach of the Houston Rockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Wesley of the Celtics, I've seen play out there. Todd Day, mm-hmm. and even more recently, uh, Kyrie Irving, summer of 2014, uh, yeah. and uh, Glenn Baby Davis, summer of 2015. But those are those are outliers. Right, right, right. Um, I, I'm just curious. Now, where where are you from? I want to. Um, uh, because uh, yeah, again, I keep asking you about where you got interested in Baylor from. What What are your roots? Where are you from? Well, that's that, that's a good question because it informs some of my uh, uh, motivation for writing the Baylor book. I, w- I lived in Boston until I was almost six, and then my family moved to uh, Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. in the mid '60s. So I grew up hearing you know oral history about Baylor probably from the time I was about nine or ten and really took an interest in pro basketball because older guys were always talking about him and mm-hmm. as you stated hollow tones and sometimes they even used the nickname rabbit if they had if they were old enough to have sort of maybe seen him play in in the schoolyard or you know just come by a lot of stories about him and the other thing about moving to Washington is when we moved to Washington uh, we moved to a section of the city called Southeast mm-hmm. and um, the first little boy that I met in August of 1965's first name was Elgin mm-hmm. so uh, I guess by that time he had become popular enough that <laughs> the kids my age were being named after him but no a, a lot of it is uh, I mean I'm a New England my parents are both Boston you know are both New England natives but uh, when you live in D.C. Um, 
Elgin Bale or Austin Carr, Adrian Dantley. You, right. you grew up hearing Dave Bing. You grew up hearing about these guys every time you walk out of your front door. So uh, that was part of it is just sort of to com- commit that to some sort of uh, official memory mm-hmm. because, you know, he's really associated with California now. Right, right. Uh, what do you think his legacy will be? Or I guess the, the better question would be, do you think his legacy sort of been lost in time? I mean, you know, Russell, obviously people will probably never forget Bill Russell or Elgin, uh, Oscar Robertson. Uh, what, what about uh, Elgin? I mean, I, I, that's, that's why it's great that you did the book because you did bring back his, his memory. But do you think he's sort of been lost in, in time? Well, he does get lost in time because by by sixty and sixty one, he's a teammate of West. So there's that. He also again lost every finals to the Russell Havlicek team, Russell Havlicek, Sam Jones teams, Heinsohn, uh, Kuzi, and so th- there's there's that. That doesn't make him less famous, but it does change the narrative in terms of why somebody would be famous. I mean, the thing about Bob Gibson having rings is part of the lore, is the things that Gibson did on the mound, pitching complete games to help earn the rings. Baylor doesn't have that winning shot or that that moment that can stand the test of time playing in those finals because people that are in their 20s and 30s and 40s didn't see those finals. Whereas Walt Frazier has that game with you know 36 and 14 and 9 and 7, which stamps in the memory and gets passed down from father to son or uncle to nephew, even though Frazier isn't playing anymore. So he doesn't have that. Then there's, of course, film and the sort of disposable nature of superstardom now. But I think what his legacies are, I think his legacies are probably threefold. The style of play, the fact that he was the first player to boycott a game because of racial discrimination. He was a rookie when he did it. And he's the only general manager that I know of in major professional team sport to sue his owner for racial discrimination, which is full circle from something he did as a rookie to something he did in his 70s to stand on principle. And then the third thing is, I think you can attribute a lot of the success of UCLA's string where they won the uh, national championships between 64 and 74 to the popularity of, of basketball in Southern California that grew after 61 and 62 and 63 because of Baylor. Mm-hmm. What, what, what happened in, uh, when he was a rookie? What brought that about? And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. Now that you do mention it, I kind of remember it. But again, that's not something that people would probably think about when they think about Baylor because, again, they see him as a 79-year-old guy and, you know, this seems to be just um, uh, Sterling. You know, um, I don't know, your token. <laughs> but you wouldn't think of what, what, what happened when he was a rookie. The Lakers checked into a hotel. Well, <laughs> the Lakers attempted to check into a hotel. The Lakers were playing a regular season game in Charleston, West Virginia, to take advantage of the popularity of Hot Rod Hunley, who was a graduate of uh, West mm-hmm. Virginia. And that's what NBA teams did regularly. Often in that era, was the Celtics would play in Lexington, Kentucky, because Frank Ramsey was on the team and he had played for UK, and this was a way to to draw uh, crowds when it was a fledgling league. Prior to when the team was checking in, Vern Mickelson was still the Laker captain, holdover from the Mike and Impala teams, the dynasty. And as captain, he walks up to the front desk and he says, "You know, we're checking into the hotel." 
the manager can see Alex Boo Ellis, he can see Ed Fleming, and he can see Baylor. So he can see that they got Negro players. And he's like, all you guys can't stay here. And Vern Mickelson says, what do you mean? Bob Short's written a letter, lodging and accommodation's been taken care of. And then the conversation even advanced to the point where Mickelson says, you know, I can get my owner on the phone, but I know that the owner has told you that we have colored guys on the team. And Baylor's standing about 10 feet away, so he's earshot. And the guy says, I don't know about the letter. I'm working my shift. I can't check you and those guys into the, into the hotel. Hmm. So eventually they have to find someplace else to stay, and they stay in a black-owned rooming house in another part of town. But the night of the game, Baylor, Ed Fleming, and Boo Ellis go out to grab a bite and they refuse service in a restaurant. They actually end, have to end up eating in a black-only section of the uh, bus terminal. Mm. Wow. So the Lakers get to the game, they get to Charleston, capacity crowd to see Hot Rod Hunley, who was sort of the Pistol Pete Maravich of his day, very flashy ball handling passer. And they're in the locker room, and Baylor isn't dressing out. And Hot Rod Hunley says, what's going on? And he says, I can't play Rod. He says, what do you mean? He says, after, you know, what happened today, I'm not some animal that you wind up and let out of a cage to play. And then when we go back to the hotel or we go to a restaurant, I'm treated differently. That's just not who I am. And Hot Rod Hunley tried to convince him to play because Hot Rod Hunley is the West Virginian that's uh, on the bill that night. But the more Baylor talks about how much of a double standard it is in terms of treatment on the court and treatment away from it, Hunley understands and he says, if you feel that way, baby, don't dress. Hmm. Hmm. And that was it. Wow. Well, that's great. That's a great story. Again, you know, that's, that's why this history is so fascinating. Um, my guest has been Bijan Bain, author of uh, a really, really great book on Elgin Baylor called The Man Who Changed Basketball. Hey, Bijan, listen, man, I really, really appreciate you uh, coming on and talking about the book. I hope uh, you're doing a lot of talking about it because people really do need to know about Elgin because, like you said, he's probably not going to talk uh, a lot about himself. Um, I don't even know if he's the kind of guy who would do a book, you know, do his own book. But clearly there's a lot there, and I'm really glad that you, you, you took the time and the effort to do it. Well, again, I appreciate you having me. Uh, they were very insightful questions. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a timely topic, uh, and uh, he is his own person. And I do respect, because of what he did on the court and even away from it, his personal space and his personal privacy mm-hmm. and his decision not to be necessarily involved with the book. But I, but I am glad that the story gets told uh, for the generations because he's really, really uh, significant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's keep putting it out there and, um, you know, let people uh, know. Do you have a, a handle if people want to get in touch with you? Do you have a, um, I know everybody's got some kind of handle. Right? Sure. Uh, <laughs> the best place for people to find me is uh, at Bijan C. Bain, the lowercase spelling of my full name, B-I-J-A-N-C-B-A-Y-N-E, on Twitter. And that's kind of where I uh, hold court about things social and things athletic. Great, great. Well, listen, man, I really would like to get you back on. I, I want to talk about uh, hoops in the vineyard. Uh, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're coming through the city, you know, stop by the stop by the studio because it would be great to, 
you know, talk to you about there's, there's so much stuff. Uh, there's so much stuff to talk about, but I'm really happy that you did this Baylor book. So congratulations. Well, thank you again, and thanks so much. I look forward to speaking with you again soon, Bill. Absolutely. You take care of yourself. Thank right, take you. care. You yeah, have, have a great, great holiday. Thank you. you too, man. Tell Sharon everybody, uh, give Sharon everybody my love. Will do. Will do. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sunday. And Old Navy's so excited about Cyber Monday tomorrow, they're booting up the bargains one day early. Today and tomorrow, everything at OldNavy.com is 40% off. Your favorite cozy sweaters, 40% off. Sleepwear, 40% off. Coats, yeah, they're 40% off too. And everything at Old Navy stores is also on sale for 30% off. Today and tomorrow only. Head to OldNavy.com to get 40% off everything except gift cards. And visit your Old Navy store to get 30% off right now too. Don't miss out. Run to Old Navy or visit OldNavy.com. Don't miss the three-day sale going on now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. This weekend only, you'll find Trico Flex Wiper Blades. Buy one, get one free. Keep your windshield clean and save money with Trico Flex Wiper Blades. Buy one, get one free this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, listen, um... It's been great, Jamal. We we have Thanksgiving coming up. Uh, what are you What are you doing? What What are your plans? Yeah, I'm f- I'm flying out to Chicago tomorrow morning. Nice. Uh, so it should be a nice, clean airport, smooth That's travel. Right. It'll be empty. It'll be empty. It, it, it completely empty. Yeah. So that should be you know should uh, you know see hopefully it works. Yep. Yep. Seth, what are What are your plans? Uh, if If we ever let you out of here, what are your plans? yeah? Uh, jumping in the minivan with the family, going driving over to Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Well, who's to Grandma's your... house we go. Oh, nice. Well, listen, everyone and everyone listening, um, have a tremendously inspired Thanksgiving Day celebration. Uh, have a great um, holiday celebration. And we will see you next week on yet another riveting edition of Bill Roden on Sports. Thank you, everybody, for listening. everybody it's sunday and old navy's so excited about cyber monday tomorrow they're booting up the bargains one day early today and tomorrow everything at oldnavy.com is 40 percent off your favorite cozy sweaters 40 percent off sleepwear 40 percent off coats yeah they're 40 percent off too and everything at old navy stores is also on sale for 30 percent off today and tomorrow only head to oldnavy.com to get 40 percent off everything except gift cards And visit your Old Navy store to get 30% off right now, too. Don't miss out. Run to Old Navy or visit OldNavy.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.